Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, December 12th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um... So an amazing piece of news that is, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years in the making um, is uh, upon us. Apparently, the Secretary of Energy is going to give a press conference to Jennifer Granholm. Is she the Secretary of Energy? Yes. Former governor of Michigan. Okay, so she's going to give a press conference tomorrow. We are told to announce that um, fusion uh, has been uh, achieved. Um this is the um, holy grail of all energy, um, as I understand it, because if you can create a fusion reaction, uh, you create a massive amount of energy with no byproducts. There's no radiation and there's no uh, waste. There's no nothing, just the energy itself. And, you know, I can't remember when it was. Was it 30 years ago or was it shorter, shorter time ago that there was that whole thing in Utah about how they had achieved cold fusion, which is fusion without the need for, you know, <clears throat> some area in which you create essentially the heat of the sun, which apparently is what fusion is. It basically was to recreate the sun in a in a in a contained area. Um but it was okay because the fusion had been created and it was cold, so it was fine. And it was all a hoax or some kind of a something got away from a couple of people who wanted to get famous. And but it was it was a pretty long time ago. And then apparently experiments, very serious experiments, have been going on now for the last twenty years. Seven or eight years ago, there was a moment when the rumor mill was very hot that they had achieved this in this. Um, I don't know what it is. It's a contained room in which you you pelt atoms with uh, with energy and lasers. explosion happens. Lasers, nuclear lasers. material. Okay. So during the Cold War, they outsourced this. And when the Cold War was winding down, they outsourced this job to committees, which spent most of the time arguing about where you would put the tokamak without actually achieving any progress. So it's what is progress a tokamak? Down. <laughs> it's just what a is a tokamak? reactor it's just you know so you take this little bit of nuclear like material dennis miller you... you're just throwing terms out that i that nobody you know never heard of the term tokamak reactor okay well no tokamak reactor so this is this is you bombard this <laughs> nuclear material with energy and it takes a lot of energy to bombard the thing so they've never been able to get it to the degree that you can actually get more energy out than you put in and this experiment generated about 120% net energy gains. So 120% of the energy that they put in. Now, as you can imagine, that's a lot of destructive force. And apparently, according to the Financial Times article, it broke some things in the process. So there are bugs to be worked out. It's basically a really teeny fusion reaction, which is a, a thermonuclear weapon. Um, and they're managing to capture this energy, produce enough energy to justify the the energy that they put into the laser. So it's, it is a breakthrough. We're probably decades and decades away. The problem is fuel. As far as I understand it, deuterium is the source, this, this material that is readily available to us that you have to use to bombard it with all this material, but it's not very efficient. You know, it is very efficient. Helium three, which is an isotope that doesn't survive re-entry into the atmosphere. It exists outside our atmosphere. Where does it exist? Where we can get it? It's really harvestable, not a lot, but it's harvestable. The surface of the moon. So we get fusion and we get moon mining. The two things are absolutely coupled. I don't want to hear any science fiction nonsense. This is absolutely true. The second we get reliable fusion generators, we need helium-3 and we need Elon Musk to get it for us. Wait, and, and there's another piece He's of busy right now, that, though, Noah. Uh, this well, is, somebody right? needs to get to him and say, here's the fusion thing. You should really be focusing on the fusion thing, Elon. But he is, because yesterday we had the Orion capsule, which is an unmanned capsule that went to the moon and came back. Um, and uh, so this is the beginning or, you know, this is a very important step on the way back to the moon, this Orion capsule. And now um, 
we we have in fact i believe outsourced this job to elon musk from here since we're not going to pay for this the federal government is not going to pay for the for the next moonshot uh we are going to outsource it and you know contract out and that means elon musk which is interesting because maybe this is one of the reasons why people don't want to be having these ridiculous fights with Elon Musk because once again he might be on the verge of you know being of doing something world historic that you know will be in the history books for another thousand years and you know bitching and moaning about how he's managing this company that he or you know basically or he's gotten himself in a position where he is on the verge of doing something of world historical importance and he's bankrupted himself by by making this and, purchase That's and we are it, we are in a space race back to the moon let's not forget china has a has a well-developed lunar space program they're expecting to launch several missions in the upcoming years they've obviously put rovers on on various parts of the moon already so it, this is a new space race if we if this actually becomes a a possibility for cheap clean energy they are going to be in racing to the moon at, at, as much as we are so there is a kind of that actually can motivate um a sense of mission and entrepreneurship it did in the 20th century for the United States, uh, it could do so again if if we take seriously the long-term goal of finding a clean energy source. We haven't put all our eggs in Elon's basket, like the SpaceX basket. We should we overemphasize SpaceX's role in the private space program at the expense of Blue Origin, the Amazon program, Northrop Grumman, you know, others that are actually doing good work in the space. But he's his business is the leader and they developed this reusable booster system and we rely on that to get shuttle basically anything we want into orbit achieves escape velocity is pretty much elon musk's business at this point so yeah every every ounce of energy he devotes to something as stupid as twitter is, is just one ounce of energy that isn't devoted to the betterment of mankind i'm looking forward to the moon environmentalism movement I mean, you Keep shouldn't. the moon shouldn't pure. Harvest right. Harvest <laughs> yes. Right. Leave Colonialism. Imperialism. The moon was just wonderful until people got there. <laughs> Mother moon. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Mother moon. Um, oh, no. But, you know, we should talk about, I, I think this is very interesting because, of course, you know, one of the, one of the most uh, pungent debates over the last 15 years, Ross Douthat is there culturally other people are there scientifically is this idea that we're running on fumes and that we haven't you know the world or the united states hasn't innovated there hasn't been a lot of innovation and that you know the age of miracles is past and that we're just sort of like the back to our favorite word entropy that we're in a kind of entropic period in which we are simply doing the same things that we're doing and they're degrading over time um and this is this has struck me over the last i i understand the feeling it's like my god there are so many sequels and there that there isn't a lot of original films and you know so this is what ross calls the age of decadence and then with the you know the decadent society and then we have other sorts of things about how you know we just haven't uh larry summers and others saying that we've reached we're, we're in a position of secular decline because we haven't had enough innovation that creates new productivity goals and all of that. And then I'm like, okay, what the hell are you people talking about? This thing came out four or five days ago, this AI chat bot. Okay. So you plug four variables into the chat bot and it spits you out an article that isn't very good. Like somebody did it in relation to me. Uh, so like a friend of mine did this like John Podhortz movie critic and this article spits out it's like 750 words and by the way it's full of mistakes like it says I attacked Brokeback Mountain for being liberal I never wrote about Brokeback Mountain it says that I attacked the social network for being liberal and I did attack it but not for being liberal for being unfair to Mark Zuckerberg whatever it doesn't matter but you know it was like this creditable article of the sort that you get when you go on google and you type in you know like somebody's name and then there's one of these articles which is like you know so and so married and then you get this like the romantic history of someone and what it is is there it's some formula that's been written and you plug in data that you can do from a google search and fit it into an article and it sounds like it was written by somebody in malaysia and you know, who 
who knows English pretty well, but not perfectly. That kind of thing. It's like talking to somebody on on when customer service sometimes. Um, but this thing is like a next level, right? It's, it's reached a next level, and it's, it's people are like freaking out because it's like, okay, now no one's ever going to have to write anything. Just assemble information, then press the button, and the article could appear in the newspaper. And I'm like, you know what? We just created a system whereby an artificial intelligence can write an article, and you're telling me that we're living in a time where there's no innovation? Seriously? Yeah. We just incepted the hydraulic fracturing in 2007. Fracking became a viable form of uh, energy extraction. And by 2022, the United States was in a position where it could be energy independent. Like, I, I'm sorry, but, it, you know, that's hard. The That's that's hardware. The AI chatbot is software. We've got rockets that a private sector company that invented reusable booster rockets that can go to the moon. We have possible fusion. When you look at the period in which we have been living for the last 35 or 40 years, the idea that everything that we've now come to take for granted with the iPhone and having a computer in your pocket, having uh, doing banking where you literally never have to step into a bank anymore. You don't have to check your, you don't have to go through your bank statement and correct it because an individual person may have made a mistake when they were doing the bookkeeping on your, at your bank and that sort of thing. 10 billion other ways in which the computer era has irre irrevocably altered and improved productivity and all of that. And we just take that all for granted. Yeah. It's kind of insane. I, I, I I'll, okay. I'm going to sound like Christine here. Uh, I think the, the information age uh, innovations have kind of wound down uh, to the point where we're talking about gimmicks essentially now. Uh, art, AI articles, AI paintings, uh, AI images, deep fakes. Also, I don't think these are good. I think these are, are 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 bad things. I'm not saying they're good, right? I but but they're also or what's good about them has not emerged yet. We don't know what's good about them. Let's see. The but they're also variations on the initial sort of innovation. I mean, what's exciting to me about fusion is that this is a this is a a, a whole new thing. This is a new frontier. This is this is. By the way, well, it's you not know, that new. It's fusing two atoms together. We've been doing that for seventy years. Yeah, but to, but to do it successfully Capture is new. It. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Just and but and aspect. and that will also create new industry. You know, uh, it's 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 it, it's the kind of thing that could herald a new age. Could but the the thing that the, I agree with Abe um, mainly because he's totally endorsing my priors. So thank you, Abe. <laughs> but Anytime. but the thing that worries me, the decadence point where I think uh, we should consider it correct um is that the human capital investment that we're making in the generations that will have to actually understand this stuff use it ethically um create new industries out of it i'm not sure our educational system is doing that well and if you look at silicon valley a lot of them a lot of these uh, big tech companies are starting to bypass higher education in this country by certifying engineers to do stuff without having them go through these programs where they get a lot of pardon my language bullshit um woke stuff all all the stuff that we argue about you know from a humanities perspective has infected the hard sciences it's it's making inroads in medical sciences and engineering and the hard sciences so i i worry that even if we have these opportunities to grasp we're not going to actually have people capable of understanding them and going forward and uh, being innovative out of them. And I will say this, a lot of the people who've created some of the machine learning and AI technologies don't actually understand how they work. So that's right. a little concerning as well. When you sit them down okay. and say, how does this work? They can't explain it to you. Okay. So um, I understand all the objections and I don't disagree with a single thing that was said here. <clears throat> but if you zoom in or you zoom out <clears throat> on historical revolutions, <clears throat> The period of the first two generations around an economic, you know, resetting of the table, terrible. First 40 years of the Industrial Revolution, nightmarish, right? You have the destruction of the village commons. You have this massive out-migration 
from rural places into cities where people end up going to work in these in the dark satanic mills that poison them that kill them you have child labor massive amounts of child labor um all the stuff that you know if you, you know, just read charles dickens that's that's the world that he was that he was portraying and um and out of the chaos of all of that there came reforms once people understood the horrors that were being visited upon them or had been visited upon them but this is a process by which the science and the change outruns our ability to understand it and corral it and think so of that, all the horrible ideas be... that that period bequeathed us socialism Marxism. nihilism <laughs> syndicalism marxism yeah. yeah a lot of bad ideas are generated by that kind of social change but yeah and there are bad ideas here too i'm just saying like out in the wash well i mean or not or or we're going to be in a period in which something like marxism will also be a dominating some some version of information age marxism will will be well, a dominating well, specter of thought for the next hundred years just described it cultural yeah. marxism i suppose but i mean but i mean the whole point is that is that people who invented you know eli whitney invented the cotton gin he didn't know what he had invented you know uh people who people who created technical innovations in the first 40 years of the 19th century were simply doing so in order to make money you know to they were they were they were doing things in an engineering way to improve their efficiency and to outrun other people in their same business. And, and, and they didn't know that they were, you know, alter, they were, they were putting the world in a position in which that great chart that Deidre McCluskey first, I think came up with that uh, Jonah Goldberg um, wrote an entire book, the suicide of the West kind of explaining or laying out the, the consequences of, which is that fact that from the, from the, from the time of Christ until uh, 1800, the net average income of a person on the planet Earth was $300 a year, and that remained stagnant for 1800 years. And then in 1800, the chart goes up like literally like a rocket, you know, over 200 years to the point where, you know, we have the fewest number of people in percentage terms living in poverty on the planet Earth that has ever existed while the planet Earth's population, you know, reaches seven, eight billion. Back, think back so, to all those bad ideas. The, what, the, what was the, you know, prime directive of all those bad ideas? It was to stop progress. It was to freeze our current conditions in place and preserve for as long as possible whatever the status quo was that was being disrupted by technology and social change. And that's probably what we're going to see if we haven't already seen it already in the backlash of the ideas. Well, that's part of it, right? I mean, or you have the weird, um, you have a weird amalgam of reactionary thinking and romantic progressive thinking, which is what Marxism is effectively, right? Marxism envisions, um, uh, you know, a paradise that looks like 17th century agrarianism but it but it also it assumes that there's a way to control and direct that progress to benefit their own views in a way that is um very hubristic but at the time a lot of the people who were actually inventing things certainly in the 19th century were much more um humble and awestruck about what they did remember samuel morse when he invents the telegraph says what hath god wrought that is yeah. the first thing the first message he says and that's a recognition of like holy cow, what have we done here? We have, we are going to transform the way we communicate. And there was a humility about that that is utterly lacking in a lot of our kind of industries that are, that are, that we're supposed to be looking for, for future, you know, so future um, society stabilization or whatever. And that, it does concern me, the whole Silicon Valley founders thing, which people have now soured on, is nevertheless uh, shot through that industry, that a lack of humility, yeah. a lack of ethical guidance when it comes to the applications of some of these very powerful technologies. But then you have your right. Bells I mean, look, and then you have your Edisons and you have, you know, you have a lot of pirates that those are the ones the sure. names we remember yeah. who actually may take this product to market successfully. They're pirates. Right. Oh yeah, they're absolutely right. mercenary in doing it. Yeah, sure, sure. But with their with their you know rivals. That, you know that 
They don't. Yeah. They weren't testing it on people. They were like killing elephants to demonstrate the electrical current, which is still terrible. Poor Topsy. But they, yeah. some 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 of our listeners will get that reference. It's a little obscure. But they yeah. weren't. But but now our industries are in real time, constantly testing the product on us. At least if you're thinking about a lot of the right. technologies we're talking about, often without Thomas our Edison, knowledge. Thomas Edison, you know, who uh, kind of invented the film strip, like invented the spoked combination of individual photographs running at a certain speed to create the illusion of movement. Thomas Edison attempted to control the burgeoning motion picture industry by literally claiming that he had a patent on how you could use his camera, which as somebody said was like Henry Ford claiming that you couldn't step on a gas pedal uh, in a car that he sold you because he owned the patent to stepping on the gas pedal. But this was a serious argument that happened. These are all the way, this is a way in which these fallout, this fallout happens. Every One of the reasons that the movie industry ended up in Hollywood was that people were running away from the East Coast where the patent wars were taking place and trying to go beyond the reach of these state governments that were essentially you know being paid off by edison and others like edison was a real goon like this is no joke i know he's yeah, yeah. great it's a big big you know fluffy hairdo sort of like before before uh looked like mark twain mixed with albert einstein and it was so exciting and it's not you know that's that's not who he was at all but um i'm, I'm also struck one of the best books that i've read in the last 10 years is tj styles book the first titan which is about Cornelius Vanderbilt, who essentially invented modern transportation in the United States. And this is where I say we don't really know how these things are shaping, shaking out in ways that we can't see at ground level because we're too close to it. So uh, Vanderbilt was a was a poor kid from Staten Island. He was a ferryman. He was a kid who worked on ferries. And then he began to build ferries and make these giant boats that would cross the Hudson River from you know, from basically from New York to New Jersey or go up the Hudson River from New York to Albany. And this was like a wondrous, amazing thing that happened. But these ferries every six months would explode and 1,500 people would die at once. I'm talking about like in the middle of the Hudson River between New York and New Jersey, which is about a mile and a half. So it is a pretty wide river and therefore, and people didn't know how to swim the way they do now. They wore heavy clothes. So they sank or the boat exploded. I mean, there were dozens of these accidents and then they realized that they had to take the hay or the coal and put it in the back of the boat away from the fire because a spark could arise from where the furnace was on the boat and hit the hay and then it would explode and then the boat would explode and sink but they didn't know this we think, well, of course, you don't put the, you know, you don't put the gas tank next to where the piston, whatever, you know, but they had to do it in real time and figure out the process by which to make these safe. And no one saw, and there is some version of that, in my view, about social media, like, or something like that, like the destructive aspects of all of this the possible solutions to them we cannot see because we're living inside it and and it let's say it happened i know this is like techno optimism here but the when you have these revolutions they change things on the ground so fast that people's people's ability to understand how to regulate them is just shot well this away. I want to say between now and the actual press conference about fusion, enjoy it because <laughs> this is the golden age. The, 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 these 24 hours. The 24 because, hours. Yes. Because Revel the in second, our genius. Yes. The <laughs> second it is announced, it will be dropped seamlessly into our politicization of everything in dumb ways. And it will all depend on who's for it, who's against it, and why. On the one hand, of course, it's 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 supposed to be clean, which which means that uh, uh, left wing environmentalists should love it, yeah. right? But it's going to involve big industries, 
names like Musk. So they'll probably hate it anyway. And and it's and it's progress and they'll hate it. So it's going to be very, very interesting or or not to see the ways right. this immediately gets degraded by our current state. We'll of get politics. we'll get that predictable headline. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Fusion. Women and minorities. Hardest hit. Like always. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that. <laughs> that is uh, that 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 is the only prediction that I'm willing to make that Abe just made that I'm absolutely say is absolutely true. Like, yeah, the takes, the Thursday op-ed page of the New York Times is going to be one of those things that, you know, in twenty two in 2200, they will go back to to quote the pieces about the horrors that we have been to, visited upon us. We need by. to draft the chat AI bot into writing a 750-word article about how terrible the steam engine is and what yeah, it's going to do to society. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Full-fired steam okay, engine is so, going to kill everybody. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the coming holidays and the fact that, look, some people are hard to buy for, right? They're really hard to buy for. They either have everything or they don't like anything or they, you know, they, they, they're, they're sort of their sense of what is fun is degraded, whatever. Everyone can appreciate a gift of a better night's sleep, and it's not just a gift, it's an experience. Your friends and family will enjoy every single night for years to come, and you know who can provide that for them? Bowl and Branch makes the perfect, softest, high-quality bedding from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. It's a gift you truly can't go wrong with. They send their signature sheets, which come in... uh, you know, designs and colors for every bedroom and mattress size with that unmatched softness to start, get softer with every single wash made by artisans who earn the pay and respect they deserve, free from toxins, pesticides, and harsh chemicals at every step of the making. They send them in wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box that creates an unboxing experience your loved ones will never get because these gifts will look as special as they feel. So bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowling Branch Bedding. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code commentary. Um, Okay, so uh, speaking of Elon Musk, we had more revelations. We've had, we have three different journalists or journalistic teams working on the Twitter files, the stuff that Elon Musk has released from the uh, Slack channels and various other forms of internal communications at Twitter, right? we got Barry Weiss's team, which includes uh, our friend Abigail Schreier and a couple of other people. we got Michael Schellenberger, uh, the uh, doctor who wrote the book on uh, San Francisco, San Francisco about 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 the horrors of San Francisco, and we got Matt Taibbi, right? So uh, Barry's stuff came out about the how they ban people and how there's no consistent policy on banning people or deamplifying people or silencing them. Um, and Schellenberger uh, just released sort of stuff about January sixth and how they decided to. Uh, take Trump off Twitter. Uh, thoughts? Well, Noah doesn't. Noah, Noah's not that excited about it. So, Christine, I think I I'm, just I, I would only you. add that's a very good summary, and and you know we just it deepened what we understood about the very partisan nature of what you know what conservatives were calling shadow banning, being called conspiracy theorists were calling shadow banning, what they called deamplification, visibility. They had all these euphemisms for what was in fact shadow banning. Um. The January 6th stuff was interesting because, you know, I I'm, was very sympathetic to, to Trump being removed at the same time that I thought this is the worst thing you could do because he's going to be able to martyr. He'll, he'll declare himself a martyr if he's if he's taken off Twitter. And I actually think if you're going to take off uh, Donald Trump, why? I mean, they still have the Ayatollah on there with, you know, tweeting away. So, the, again, the 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 lack of consistency in terms of who is a risk and who is inciting violence against others Um 
But it was very clear that, again, the head of the security team, Yoel Roth, and others were driving this decision making. Just a handful of people who are highly partisan in their own views were gleeful whenever a whatever previous tripwire Donald Trump stumbled over. They, you know, you'd see these internal messages like we've almost got him. I mean, there was clearly a sense of if not a witch hunt, a we are going to get this guy off this platform and we're going to justify it any which way we can. Again, private platform, they're allowed to do that. But to but to act as if they are some uh, moral arbiters for the nation protecting democracy by doing so has just been proven to be utterly false. Because, again, what they were doing was creating a, a new rules on the fly, on the go. Around January 6th, I understand that. You know, events changed rapidly. A lot of information was coming in. That's a little I'm a little more sympathetic to that. But what we see here is leading up to January 6th, there were very concerted efforts by people with a lot of power at Twitter to de-amplify conservatives and to get Donald Trump off that platform. So if they had simply been honest about what they were doing, transparent about what they were doing, transparent about who was making these decisions and why, I think there would have been a lot less conspiracy theorizing and, and reaction to what happened. I, I always thought it was a dumb and Kamala Harris at one point called for for uh uh, Trump to be removed from Twitter early, you know, long before January 6th. I didn't think it was ever a good idea to get him off Twitter because he shows us who he is on Twitter and we should know who he is. Um, but this just, I think, deepened what we already have been shown in the previous iterations of the Twitter files of just how small and partisan a group was making extremely major decisions on this platform. I, I want to point out that it is actually not right to say that Twitter can do whatever it wants because it is a private company. It was not a private company until Elon Musk is a publicly bought traded it, company. Yeah. Yeah. It is a publicly they are not allowed to misrepresent the facts of the workings of their business. That That's can right. be viewed as securities right. fraud. Exactly. Because they are they are going public and they're going Jack Dorsey and others test of and by the way, contempt of Congress or perjury because they was in sworn statements, Jack Dorsey went before Congress and said that this was not happening. Oh, he definitely lied to Congress. Yeah. So, or he okay. didn't know what his own company was doing. Either way, right. that's not well, great. Okay. So I don't believe that that's true. And what's more, it doesn't matter if it's not true. In the, by the way, in the world of securities fraud, it doesn't matter because there is a new or should have known standard. Like you, you are not off the hook for securities fraud if you were in a position of responsibility at a publicly traded company or or involved in markets, and you didn't know what was going on at your company when you had line authority. So. I don't know where this goes. I don't know what the protections are for individual officials at companies that are publicly traded in terms of their li personal liability and all of that. But this is not nothing. This is not – they can do whatever they like. They could have if they hadn't gone public. They went public, and the entire standard is different. I haven't really read much about that, and I'm obviously neither a securities lawyer nor am I uh, – you know, but, but uh, you can lie about anything – except when it involves commerce that you are encouraging other people to engage in, which is what happens when you have stock, you know, there's stock and you're trying to sell it. People are buying and selling it every day. And there has, there has to be some standard in which you can't say, Oh, we made $2 billion this month. Right. You, you can't do that. That's, that's fraud. But if you say, somebody says, look, you may be harming your product or, you know, driving customers away or whatever, because you are de-amplifying people's voices or status banning or whatever. And then they say, no, no, that doesn't happen. I don't know. Not so simple. Um, and of course we also have the bizarre phenomenon. I think we talked about this on Friday of the people saying, I don't get it. Yesterday I tweeted something and it got 10,000 likes. And today I tweeted something and it got two likes. And, you know, they're basically exactly the same thing. So obviously Twitter did some, something happened inside Twitter. And sometimes they would say, well, we are tweaking the algorithm. And on the other hand side, they would say, no, 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 nothing happened. And of course it did. There were teams at Twitter that went through Twitter users and, 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 quieted the reach of their or you know limited the reach of their tweets and they used they, they did it by using euphemisms like we're doing this for i mean one of the ones they used for trump was so-called civic integrity 
So if there's any incitement that might undermine civic integrity, what does that even mean? They were they just watching how they made up these things on the fly to justify the decision they'd already made. I mean, they did this sure. with Matt Gates, who I'm no fan of Matt Gates, but they were trying desperately. They acknowledged in their internal messaging they did, that he hadn't technically violated the terms of certain the terms that they had laid out, but they were they were going to create new ones so that they could get him off the platform because they didn't want him on the platform. So like that, it's that ad hoc kind of justification using weasel words that I think is most damning in terms of their attempts now and the media's attempts to cover for what was happening. Yeah. It's Dean. It's uh, it's Dean, Dean Wormer, right? It's, it's now they're on double secret probation. You know, what's that? It's a little known codicil to the favor college charter. Well, do we actually know that it was ever in the favor college charter? No, because, you know, if you're in this position and you create this kind of quasi-legal board of inquiry into your own company, like, there's no standard, there's no legal, there's no law standard, there's no, there's no nothing, like, you can do, again, you sort of can do whatever you want, and obviously, Jack Dorsey, and I think this is the other important point, which is that this is a long delayed revenge on the right in this sense, which is that what Twitter, what Facebook, what these companies were doing in 2017 and 2018 was desperately trying to evade and avoid and answer uh, the complaints that they had inadvertently gotten Trump elected because they had you know, because they were just trying to make money. And so they let Russian bots, this or that, the other thing. And the onslaught of, you know, liberal media attention to this point and the threat to Facebook posed by, you know, like there was actually a real threat to Facebook, like from user users dropping off. It's like the same crap that's going on now with people saying they're going to quit Twitter. I noticed none of them was quitting Twitter. Um, they were like running terrified from this argument. And so um, everything that they were doing internally was essentially an accept, get us out of this, get us out of this mess. I'm Jack Dorsey. Well, but there's a reason I why it happened. Off, I have to after... go off for a ayahuasca retreat, you know, in Belize. You figure out how to get me out of this while I grow my beard another 22 inches longer. All right, well, I really hate you to know. be this guy, even though it's just it's absolutely necessary to have this guy. But there's a reason why it didn't happen until January 6th. And we have we're acting on the benefit of hindsight to a certain degree, not excusing anybody's behavior when they're just erecting ad hoc justifications to do whatever they want to do, which is true. It's exactly what they did. But in the absolute aftermath, the immediate aftermath of January 6th, emotions were running high. We had experienced an unprecedented attack on the United States. But think about how you felt in the aftermath of 9-11. To what extent were you willing to gauge your behavior and observe civic propriety and perhaps the fiduciary responsibility you have to investors, even at the risk of inviting a national security threat that killed people? And it's the sort of thing that can you can work yourself up into the justification for behaviors that you otherwise couldn't and didn't by virtue of the fact that they didn't over the, over the course of the four years of Donald Trump's presidency when they desperately wanted him to stop talking. They didn't have any any way to do that until after January 6th, the justification existed. Um, and there's something of a flawed enterprise here. We were talking about this before the podcast happened. I'm gonna bring it to the podcast anyway, even though apparently Ezra Klein has written about this, I guarantee you Ezra Klein and I don't think the exact same way. So this is probably not duplicative of whatever it was he wrote. But a lot of the content moderation stuff that we're talking about here would be undone or wouldn't be necessary if this was what Elon Musk wants it to be, which is the global town square. The global town square is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist and it can't exist because the conditions that create the town square are the town. You have to move there or be born into there or understand the community. And there are certain checks unspoken, uh, under universally understood checks on certain behavior patterns that weed out people who would incite to violence, who are just weird and deranged, who generate a lot of enthusiasm for whatever nonsense they're spewing and create movements around them, there's gatekeepers for that sort of thing that don't exist on a global level because there's no standard of behavior that's enforced on a global level. There are a bunch of little standards of behavior. Um, so I don't want to judge this sort of, judge the people who behaved at, the way they behaved at Twitter, bad as they behaved without understanding the pressures that were on them. And it's not just Silicon Valley's a bunch of libs and they're all, they all want libs to be libs. There's some real 
responsibility to your neighbors and to civic propriety that they were attempting, flawed as their attempt was, to execute for the good of everyone. Yeah, but yeah, but I got I I I I got to shoot you down here for a very in a very simple way, which is yeah, fine. So Donald Trump, you ban because of January sixth, but as as Christine alluded to, the Ayatollah Khamenei, you don't ban. Guy hangs gays from a crane. You know, he is um, d- developing nuclear weapons. He has th- threatened to destroy Israel. He's fine, but Donald Trump isn't. See, that's where, if you're talking about a global, t- I agree that there's no global town square, but, um, and why this is a slip, why it's the, the slippery slope doesn't even begin to describe it. So you can judge Twitter as you want to judge Twitter, but um, it's, Everyone can make up their own mind about this. Like you can say it was better that Trump was banned. I don't care how he was banned. There's... But they, if they pretend that they weren't spending two years trying to f- come up with ways to ban him before January 6th, then they're just lying. But there's and there's also and, another there's another issue here, which isn't getting as much play, but but should because it's actually speaks to some some of the things you were mentioning earlier about the integrity of the company itself and its leaders, John, and their their exposure to liability. Uh, there was a whistleblower in Twitter who was constantly trying to and, and a lot of his documents are now available showing how unsecure the entire network that Twitter operates on is. They knew it. They will. They they knew that it was easily infiltrated by foreign governments, by others. So that actually adds another layer to this idea that the Trust and Safety Council was so focused on getting Matt Gates and Donald Trump off Twitter. Meanwhile, literal foreign governments were infiltrating their network, having access to everybody's data. They they came very close to losing all of the data that was stored on their servers. They don't have licenses to do some of the some of the use some of the machine learning tools they're using. I mean, this company has not been very well run just as right. a company in terms of its responsibility and its and its claims to Congress. There have been a lot of lot of, I think if you're a congressional staffer right now in the Republican side, start combing through the testimony of any Twitter executive from the past 5 years. You're going to find a lot of interesting stuff there that is going to have these files and documents are going to prove to have uh, yeah. made them liars about. And they knew it. They like they knew that they were claiming to their shareholders and to Congress things that they knew to be false. Mo- I think most interesting and then we should move on from this, but most interesting is the fact that this is an unprecedented thing that Elon Musk has done, which is that he has opened up uh, sort of like the internal deliberations of a company that he bought and has laid them out uh, right now in front of three journalists or journalistic teams, and then there'll be others. Um, And the response of the media is to say, this is nothing. This is nothing. What are the, you know, probably one of the 10 most visible companies on the planet earth and it's nothing. Oh, what? You know, like, are you people like, are you trying to make it so that nobody trusts you or pays attention to you or thinks that any single thing that comes through your fingertip, like better that you listen to an AI chat bot, than you listen to these people. They're poo pooing an unprecedented business practice that, that, that Musk just, Hold out to do, but it's not even Are that they crazy. But John, it's not even that. They're mourning the way it used to be. They loved that. Yeah. This is what they yeah. wanted. This, yeah, they're they they pull their hair out over Musk taking it over because because they knew this was coming to an end, or they feared it was coming yeah. to an end. It, it's you know it's not it's the it's not even so much their fear of it being exposed and trying to downplay it it's like well yeah of course they did the right thing the, the by 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 shadow banning they, well, what do you, well, there's a there's a monster on the loose this is what you have to do now now the monster is back on the loose but they don't quite say that cuz it's still a bad look that's what's interesting they don't quite say it they don't quite say that this was a good like it's complicated that's why they say eh, it's not no big deal because it's not like it's good or it's bad. It's ah, no big deal. We and I, we told you, we said that they were doing it. Oh, really? They didn't say that they okay, were. But doing here's it. the benefit to technological advance. I'm going to bring one of the most odious people in the discourse to the conversation here. Christine's favorite, Ben Collins, NBC News, uh, disinformation reporter. 
who had a oh, by the way, again an oxymoron. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. <laughs> Commentary.org today, our January issue. Uh, how media reporters practice this information. Disinformation reporters practice this information by Christine Rosen. Go read it when we're, you know, sometime today. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, he has what a ben 42 thread, tweet thread that's really not worth watching, you know, reading. But the revelation that he comes to is interesting. Where he goes, honestly, I think people are tired of the information war and they want something else, which is literally his beat. So God bless. Um, something else might not be on the Internet. But it might not. It's like the metaverse. It's probably something like smaller communities. He goes on to describe how Gen Z is retreating from the big social media platforms into interest based communities um, like uh, online uh, Snapchats and Letterbox, talk about movies and what have you. And I and he's mourning this. And I couldn't have been more thrilled by the idea of retreating from this utterly unrepresentative toxic environment that fills you full of bad ideas and convinces you that the universe you inhabit is this terrible place and you know distracts you from the world outside your window that's which is actually quite placid and lovely and if young people are retreating from that environment into something they're not, much more <laughs> they're not they're all they on were, tiktok that's they're just on right. tiktok doing the same thing well, he might but he, well yes right. he's old well, by the standards of yeah <laughs> nevertheless if he decides to if he's coming to the idea here that smaller is better that communities that are actually self-regulate are better um that's first of all the rediscovery of a wisdom that conservatives have had for a very long time. It's like the rediscovery of conventional morality around sexual relations, for example, is like they just discover it themselves and they congratulate themselves on this miraculous innovation. But it is an innovation when they have to reacquaint themselves with. And if they're doing so, more the better. Okay, but I will this on this. I'm going to go absolutely bonkers. And I actually with. OK, a huge I, want amount, but wait, I want you to go bonkers. OK, we need to take a break and hear from our friends. Okay. At I'm going to cool the off then. Institute. All right. My fire okay. will be dampened. So All right. <laughs> fire in the Acton Institute. There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Whom can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Acton Unwind comes in, just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Acton Institute there's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Acton Unwind. Every Monday, you'll hear from host Eric Cohn and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating that the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as we promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org commentary or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash commentary to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Okay, Christine, we just heard from FIRE, and now it's time for you to spit time fire. Time to rain fire. No, first of all, I, I completely applaud the impulse that, that uh, Noah just described. I think he's absolutely right, and that is optimistically where we want particularly younger generations to start heading in the direction of doing when they're online. Um, however, to, to hear Ben Collins making that Hallmark, you know, Hall of Fame movie moment is ridiculous because that this guy's entire career was built on going into small communities, declaring them dangerous conspiracy theories, extrapolating from that and, and branding anyone who's, you know, to the to the right of, you know, I don't know, the, the most moderate you can imagine, a, a danger to democracy. So I think he, when he's looking at people on his own side, he's extremely um, thoughtful about what, what's happening to them and how dangerous things are for them online and all these things. But the moment 
the partisan lens turns to his opponents, there is absolutely a merciless unwillingness to have anything other than the worst possible description of what they're doing. And he does this with just normal people who he interviews. He turns them into these kind of clown shows that are dangerous and conspiracy theorizing. And there's absolutely no you know, sort of empathy at all. There's a kind of faux empathy. And I've read all I read almost everything this guy's written before I wrote this piece because um, I wanted to be fair and it was a rare moment where he actually tried to be empathetic and try to understand the motivations of people on the other side in a way that he does in, a, in an almost unjournalistic knee-jerk way for anyone on his side of the aisle. There's absolutely no criticism allowed on that side. But it, it the partisanship becomes very clear if you read his work. And it's, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of interesting stuff to be written about disinformation online. He's just not the guy to do it. I, I also think that it is preposterous to think that uh... – younger the younger generation is turning towards smaller communities here because the whole appeal the electrifying part of something like twitter for them is that it's a bigger stage is that you can you can reach out and uh, uh say whatever you want and get the attention of someone you see on tv uh even even if it's to get them to ban you that's that's the that's that's the thrill and no one is going from that you could be an influencer uh, by doing nothing. No one is going from that to to some sort of quaint version uh, of that um, b- because it's nicer. Also, allow me to also call BS on this. The because fire is spreading. No. <laughs> that is what Facebook is. Facebook is people constructing individual communities of personal connection. Twitter is the opposite in some ways, unless you protect your tweets and only let people that you approve see them. Twitter is 10,000 people screaming at once. And the question is what voice gets louder, you know? Um, uh, and that's, that's the point. And uh, in some ways, TikTok and Instagram are the same as Facebook, although because how, how do things go viral? Like only if, they're picked out by Instagram or TikTok to be put on some, you know, you might like this thing. Can they sort of pop? But mostly Facebook is you communicating with people you have already said you want to be in touch with. Um, and so, you know, Abe, Abe is right that Twitter is the platform and the cost of the cost, the barrier to entry is zero. Uh, and the, by the way, the return is zero. Also, I mean, as say if you write a tweet that gets you know a million likes or whatever, what do you what 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 do you re- get really? I mean, you know, people remember four days later. No, they don't. So, you know, it's like a it, it's like a sugar high, or it's like it's like getting a high score on a in the old days, like getting a high score in a video game in a you know, in a video parlor, you know, getting the highest score on Space Invaders, and then you can put your initials there, and it's there forever. But what do you get for the tw- for the twenty four months you spent playing <laughs> Space Invaders six hours a day in order to get so good at it that you could get two million points on the video machine? Like the the investment of time wasn't worth the return, uh, unless it's the only possible way you can get any recognition whatsoever. All right, we gotta we gotta we gotta call a halt to the proceedings today. Commentary.org for the January issue of Commentary with Christine's piece with a piece by me on uh, called uh, Geopocalypse Now. A lot of other good stuff. We'll talk about it uh, for the rest of the week. For Abe, Christine, and Noam, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.